Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? This is Vernon Oaks on Everything Cooperative. Welcome this beautiful morning in sunny Washington, D.C. We have the Pope on the Hill uh, addressing the Joint Congress, and I'm glad you're listening to us this morning. We have Irma Wilburn on the phone with us. Good morning, Irma. Good morning. How are you? Excellent. How are you doing this morning? I'm good. I'm good. From Albany, Georgia. Albany, Georgia. Yeah, deep down south. Deep down home. Okay. <laughs> down south. Yeah. And let's, uh, you and your husband own 80 acres and you farm. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, we do. So yeah. were, were you all given uh, 40 acres and a mule twice? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> this, this land has been in uh, this family for probably 150 years or more. Wow. So, yeah, we we are the last uh, tech caretakers, and it has gone down from over 2,000 acres down to 80. So we, we are desperately trying to hold on to that. From 2,000 acres to 80, that oh. sounds like uh, when Cornelius Blandy was on, uh, he was telling me it was like... Um, Oh, I can't remember the numbers. Thirty million acres in twenty, in was that nineteen ten, mm. and uh, that black farmers own and down is down to like two point seven million. To and yeah. it's the same kind of two from two thousand to eighty acres. Right, right. Well, you know that that's the tragedy uh, that we face as people, and uh, it just means more disenfranchisement of a race of people that have been struggling for some years now. So, so is Albany one of those uh, very poor communities? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was just reading some information on just how poor we are. You know, it, it's really shocking uh, that we're among the fifth poorest uh, states in the Union. We have, uh, in right here in Doherty County, our poverty rate exceeds 34.6. So we're we're really struggling down in this area. 34.6% of the population is yeah. below the poverty line? Deep poverty. Hmm. Well, how do you guys survive down there? Well, uh, I think the, the picture is reflective of a lot of things that is, you know, that's going on. We, we were... At one point, we had lots of industry. Uh, Miller, uh, we still have Miller. I understand there's something going on there, too. We had Merck's big chemical company. We had uh, Firestone and all of these big uh, companies left. So you have a, a community that's gone from people making 
forty, fifty thousand dollars a year back down to three fourths of the people making eleven thousand dollars at best. You know, so that's the median income. So that's eleven thousand dollars. Right, trying to to live off a off of um eleven thousand dollars a year for a, a family of four. It's almost impossible. So of course you have all the ills that Poverty brings about increased um, health risks. Uh, we have a number of we have a, a huge population of young men uh, that's in the prison system, and, and I, I tie that directly to poverty too, because you know you don't you don't understand what it is to struggle from day to day, maybe not have enough to eat. And these young men are going out trying to, you know, help feed their families. You know, so you get burglaries, you get, you know, holdups, you get a, a number of things that probably would not happen, you know, if people were able to make a decent living and, you know, homes could be more statewide. So I, I, tie, I tie the crime rate to poverty. And so you know, we just live in a very unstable situation when, when poverty is just real hard. You know, I, I I was trying to get the number here in the district. It's the family of four in the Washington metropolitan region. It's $98,000, the average median family income. And you know, you've got 11000 at that range. And I don't know the number off the top of my head, but I believe if you're below $28,000 median family income, then you're considered a poor community. And if you guys have got eleven, you you're... You know, half of that, no, less right. than half, because your income level for the average family of four, so yeah, that would be in pretty bad shape. Oh. And I've I've often thought, uh, I have not thought so much about the high rate of incarceration being uh, on poverty, but I I have put more of it on how this um, war on crime or war on drugs when they put you in for a longer period of time. I've got three nephews that have been in and out of jail on this drug stuff, and they, one of them, is, I think he got a 20-year sentence, and he's been there about 12 years already, so 40-some-year-old man. So it's a combination of if, if they go out trying to, and his wasn't because of poverty, but in your area, if they're going out to try to put some food on the, on the uh, table for their families and were maybe 19, 50, or 60, they might have gotten a year sentence, they may get 10-year sentence now. So mm. we get a combination of things that cause this high rate of incarceration. Right. Well, even, you know, uh, the economics of, of drugs, uh, illegal drugs, have uh, taken such a hold on, on these communities is because of the poverty. Because, you know, if you, if you offer a person a job, you know, they're going to make some money if they take something across town, you know, the lack of funds is going to say, you know, the chance of, is good that that person will take that opportunity to make some money. So, you know, you say he's a drug dealer, but he's a drug dealer out of necessity to survive. So a lot of it is, like I said, has that, that foundation of, of poverty being the catalyst for a lot of criminal activity. You speak wisdom, my sister. And how long have you and your husband owned the farm? Mm-hmm. And... Are you all a part of any cooperative? Right now, we we belong with the, uh, to the 
Federation of Southern Cooperatives, which is, you know, basically bring farmers together in hopes of if we get large markets that we can fill together, that would, you know, uh, that would be an option for us. But in the sense of a worker cooperative, we're not a part of one yet. But hopefully I can get my husband to look at that as a, a, a way of helping to save the, you know, the land because I'm 66 years old and he's 68. So, you know, unless we have the children that's willing to come to the land and farm, that land too will wind up in some other um, person's hands and it may not even be farmland anymore. So, you know, we're, we're trying to work on that in several areas. Of course, my, my job with VISTA in that I'm working on hunger issues. We've started a Feed My Sheep program with a community-based organization, which have our youth connected to farming again, you know, the agribusiness part of it and the agriculture part of it. And that's a big, because that's a big issue. Our youth no longer look at farming as a way of life or a way of income. And, you know, that's just been a few years ago that that's where most of our livelihood came from. And it's really, very really tragic if you look at Georgia now and uh, from what it was when I grew up, uh, where everybody, you know, 60, 70% of the people lived in rural areas knew or had some connection to the farm, you either worked on somebody's farm or your own farm or, or uh, you, um, you know, you had relatives grandparents that still lived on the farm. So you knew where your food came from. You knew how food was grown, uh, how chickens, you know. You had all of that information. And now it's sad, but our children, they're generations of our children that have no connection to the land in that regard. And Georgia's number one economy is uh, agriculture. So if you're, you know, you're totally disconnected to it, that's, you know, that's loss of income, that's loss of uh, ability to uh, maintain any kind of family wealth. You know, it's it's, um, it's a real bleak picture right now, and we're trying to stop that trend, you know, to bring our children back to that, that uh, culture where they could live off the land and appreciate the land. You know, we have to take a break now, but that's a great place to take a break to learn how to live off the land, um, going back to agribusiness, agriculture. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll, we'll take a break. If anybody out there has a question for me or, or Irma, please call in. She's 66 years old. I'm 68, the same age as her husband. So we've been around a minute. If you have any question about anything, particularly as it relates to cooperatives, please give us a call in at one 800 We'll be right back. Fourteen fifty WOL. Art all 
night, DC is back in Congress Heights. Main stage performances all night featuring Black Alley, Shutter DC's Rip the Rooftop Fashion Show, numerous visual arts exhibits, a 90s hip-hop exhibition with DJ Gemini and Will Rap for Food, and more. Saturday, September 26th at the Gateway DC Pavilion, 2700 MLK Avenue Southeast from 7p to 3 a.m. Admission is free. For more info, visit artallnightdc.com. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks on Everything Cooperative. This morning we have Irma Wilborn from Albany, Georgia, uh, on the line with us. We were talking about farming and how the, the youth of today have gotten away from the land uh, and how blacks used to own a lot of land in, in the United States at, in the 1910s, 1920s, and that has gone downhill where we've lost land. Uh, uh, Cornelius Blanding, who's the executive director for the Federation of Southern Co-ops, was on the program here not too long ago, and he was talking about that. I had the pleasure of going down to Birmingham and then Epps, Alabama, where I met Irma uh, about the middle of last month, and uh, to their to the Federation's annual meeting. And I met a lot of good people down there, good Good home folk yeah. like Irma. Uh, great meeting. And it was a great, great, great meeting. And so he was on the program also talking about this, this the way that we have lost so much land. Um, and Irma told us earlier that their family had 2,000 acres and they're down to 80. 80 sounds like a lot to me. And I did a little research, Irma, because I grew up in a, a small city in West Virginia and I've been um, urban all of my adult life. And I don't know what I acre is. So I looked at a little, a little research and it said a uh, football field is about 1.1 acres from goalpost to goalpost, from sideline to sideline. So that's a sense of what an acre is. And so if you got 80 of those football fields, okay, uh, that seems like a lot uh, to me. A, a city block is about a half of an acre. Uh, so some sense of what an acre is. So you've got 80 of those that seem like a lot. 2,000 seems like a whole lot more. Right. Um, well, in, in Georgia, you know, places like Mississippi, Alabama, you know, you have a lot of farmland. And we're used to seeing large acres of land. Uh, I agree most people living in a city are brought up in a city. They they wouldn't, they couldn't really uh, imagine having that much land. Um, of course, you know, a lot of farmers grow row crops, corn, and, you know, soybeans, that kind of stuff. <clears throat> so... You know that's where that's where you get all these uh, tons and tons of, of food that uh, feed the American people and, and other people. So you know, 80 acres. There are lots. There's two or three families around us that have still have about 300 acres of land, and that to me is is, is great. And we hope that they can hold on to it. So um, I think we we need a place where we can feel some level of security that we can grow food and uh, feed ourselves, that we can actually uh, make a living off of, you know, off of the land. So, you know, we want to, we want to definitely go back into land purchasing and reclaiming land that 
uh, families have lost or or make make a way for them to hold on to the land. And one of those ways is to make sure that the land goes goes into the hands of someone who's going to take care of it and make sure the taxes are paid. You know, we've got problems with people not uh, doing wills and estate planning so that we lose a lot of land that way. Nobody pays the taxes and the state winds up with it. So we, you know, we want to avoid that, that kind of land loss. And we want to avoid um, uh, allowing ourselves to not um, take advantage of the programs that's out there to help farmers. There was a time when there were, were no, there was no help or very limited help. They didn't tell you what was available within RCS. They didn't tell you what programs USDA had that could help black farmers. What's and RCS? Put, NRCS, National Conservation Resource Department. So, you know, they have a lot of, of uh, programs that can help farmers, like irrigation, uh, getting an EQIP grant, which is an irrigation system. Uh, they have... Um, Tunnel uh, houses or hoop houses that allow people to have extended growing periods. So those those uh, grants are out there. Take advantage of them while you still can. Well, you know those grants were not available for blacks. Or... Exactly. Okay. And it and it took a a uh, a major suit uh, against uh, USDA to to open those avenues up. And but that's how it's been for us as a people. Everything that. You know, we get, we have to really struggle for it. So, you know, and that's why the struggle still goes on. I, as I told you in one of my, in my bio, you know, being involved in the civil rights movement at age 14, you know, I I see what has happened to our people, you know, post that era, you know. Um, we just, we've lost a considerable amount of uh, ground and, until people really start looking at ways on how we can recoup, how we can uh, reclaim our neighborhoods, how we can uh, better our communities, until people really start putting some practices in order, uh, you know, we're we're continuing to fail. And I, it's it's hard for me to see that when you, you know, you've gone to jail, you struggle. I, I was standing at the courthouse steps when they passed the voters' rights bill, you know, with people in line to go in and register to vote. And you see how apathetic people are about voting now. That's that's painful. Apathetic is they don't care. Yeah. Okay, I just yeah. want to break that big word down. <laughs> okay. People are apathetic, and that's what's yeah. sad. And also, it's even sadder for me is how young people just are apathetic about it, getting an education. Yes. And we fought so hard to to be able to have choice. Um, right. So yeah, that, trying to get the kids to understand the land and understand wealth, yeah. uh, wealth building, that's huge, and and that's everybody to understand how important voting is. Um, mm-hmm. That that is tremendous. Now I did look up while we were on break that the poverty level in the U.S. for a family of four is twenty four thousand two hundred fifty dollars, mm-hmm. and if you're eleven thousand, and mm-hmm. I, I also saw that Albany, Georgia, was the fourth poorest city in the nation. In the nation, um, that's, pretty, that's pretty. That's pretty sad for your family, but you know, so that's it, what it is. And you can, you really can see um, the effects of it all around you. And I, I just, you know, I try to be encouraging, not only just to be an encourager, but to be action oriented to solve the problem. 
that's why we're starting a women's worker cooperative. You know, when I met you in uh, in Mississippi at the uh, in F, well in Epps, Alabama, mm-hmm. we um, I heard you say, you know, how interested you were in in worker owned co-ops, and uh, and if anybody wanted to talk to you about it, you know, that you would be open. And so I, that you know, you I, I've talked, I've kept in contact with mm-hmm. you ever since then because. I see that as a way out uh, for so many of us, particularly uh, women um, in this area, who bears the brunt of uh, of what poverty does. You know, single women, you know, trying to raise children alone, very little education, job opportunities nil to nothing, um, and those that are available are, are, are so low in wages that they have to have two or three of them just to to make ends meet, which means then there's no one to wash the children. So it's just a you know, a a, a bad cycle to get caught up in. Can I can I stop you a second? Because mm-hmm. the picture you're painting is very, very bleak and sad. Um it looks like uh in D C right now the sun is up and it's a warm uh sunny day, but as you talk it's gotten very cloudy in the studio <laughs> okay uh it's 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 sad um when you say okay i live in a community that is the fourth poorest in the nation an average income for a family of four is eleven thousand dollars and it, to be in poverty uh in the u.s standards is is, is twenty eight thousand average income uh for a family of four and in washington dc metropolitan area the average income for a family of four is ninety eight thousand dollars to give a sense of this wide disparity uh of wealth or income and ability to take care of family so then you get uh in cart people young men will go out and say okay if i can't make money then i will steal and then they end up in jail and then they've had children um there was just i just saw a video with the president talking to us about seven incarcerated men and they were talking about these kinds of things and then the system keeps them in there longer and longer and longer and they'll come out and their kids will be almost grown and won't even know them if they're not already grown so um so you left with women and then they are not educated and they have children and they they don't have job opportunities and if they do they might be at a mcdonald or fast food or something cleaning or something and so there's no income, right. and all of the industry has moved out of the area. So right. what you have left is perhaps farming, but there is a bright spot, and that's why I wanted to stop you. Let's talk about the bright spot, and the bright spot is cooperatives, right. and that's why I wanted you on the program, Irma, is that talk about this bright spot of possibilities of people coming together. Now, there was a guy on the program, and I go back in the first month that we were on two years ago in October. Um, His name is Papa Sin. He's a black man out of Senegal. And he said to me that co-ops are only formed when there's a community need. If there's not a community need, there's no need for a co-op. And you have a community need, a big one down there. And we've got to take our second break, but we'll, we'll be back to talk about the community need and how you can form co-ops And we'll give you some definition of like a worker co-op and other co-ops. And we'll talk more to Irma about how, what's the bright spot in a very dim look for predominantly African-Americans in her community in Albany, Georgia. 68% or greater. 68% African-American? Mm-hmm. Poor. Okay. 
We'll be back. Uh, we'll get the traffic and the weather and the news, and then we'll be back to talk more about a bright spot. When the glory comes, it will be ours. It will be ours. Oh, one day when the war is won, we will be sure. We will be You know, one day, Irma, one day, uh, we, I, we can get the glory, and I believe that the way of getting it is through this cooperative business model, the bright spot that we talked about before we took break. So let me give a definition of a co-op. A co-op, um, for those of you that listened before, you already know this, but a co-op is any business you can think of. Any business you can think of could be a co-op. But it goes to who owns the business and who controls the business. In a co-op, if we have time, we'll go over the seven principles later. But a co-op, if the business is owned and controlled by the employees, the people that work there, then it's called a worker cooperative. Also, if it's in in any business, okay, we're going to talk about a bakery that Irma and nine other ladies are looking at forming in in and around Albany, Georgia. So then if the business is owned and controlled by the people that use the products or services of the business, then it's called a consumer co-op. And housing cooperatives is is the way that I got started into understanding co-ops or credit unions, another consumer cooperative. And then a couple uh, weeks ago, Irma, I had a lady on uh, from Madison, Wisconsin, and they have a health clinic that's a uh, that's a consumer co-op. The patients own and control the business, and that was phenomenal because it's basic, pace, patient-centric. Everything is focused on the patient, every decision, every policy, and so it's not doctor-centric or profit-centric. So those are the main two forms of co-ops. And then farmers have formed purchasing co-ops where they are buy their gas or their seed or fertilizers or any of the things that they need. If they buy it in higher quantities, then they normally get a lower price and sometimes a better product. They can negotiate better when there's that's more people. And then they also form marketing co-ops so that they sell their products together so they can get into different markets and get people that would buy it and then buy it at a, at a higher price. So co-ops helps a lot. It's just forming biz- businesses and that last piece on this, a, a gentleman, the ambassador to South Africa, was on a program. His name is Jim Joseph, and he talked to us about Ubuntu. Ubuntu is the concept. It's a way of being, of helping each other. I am because you are, and Irma, you are because I am. And so that if I do something to help you, I'm helping myself. If I do something to harm you, I'm harming myself. They call it humanism, okay? And I think that's the center of cooperatives. And that's what I've fallen in love with this model as I have managed. That's what I do in the daytime is I manage housing co-ops, and I see people making decisions that's good for the housing, the community, and not necessarily what's good for an individual. And the businesses, can they can prosper and prosper extremely well, and you don't need a lot of formal education. You don't have to have 
college degrees or masters or doctorate or anything, you do have to get knowledge about how to run a business and knowledge how to make decisions together and when there are conflict. If you have two or more people, you're going to have conflict. How do you solve that conflict in a, in a positive kind of way that benefits? So that's why I love co-ops, and those are the definitions. So you were talking about, before we took break, of forming this woman-owned bakery. So what, what's that about and why are you trying to do that? I definitely think that uh, cooperatives is the way to go to address poverty in this area. Uh, we have women from different counties and all in the proximity of a commercial kitchen. And we have women who bake very well. So I said, now this is, the, the kitchen is underused. Here, so we have resources. We have people resources. And all we need to do is get together and, and form this uh, work a co-op because it's going to address some of the poverty issues in our areas. And it's going to, it's going to be three or four counties that will be affected because the women will be coming from, you know, three or four counties. And we will be a model, hopefully, to uh, spur other people to look at other co-ops, uh, worker-owned co-ops that they could do. I think it's a great way to um, bring our people together uh, to work together. I, I believe in the one man, one vote. I believe that premise is the best premise in order if you're working together because unless you try to be the sole decision-making maker in something, you're going to fail. The, the minute you try to work your own business, uh, if you don't inherit a whole lot of money where you can can uh, hire label right off from the start, then you're looking at, you know, uh, failing because you can only go so far as a, a lone person. Well, let, me, let me say to you this way. Um, for individuals that start businesses, there's a, like a 75, 80% chance it's going to fail in the first five years. Right. But in the co-ops, because people come together and they learn how to work together and they own it and they, they're focused on the, the both the workers and the product and the customers and not on profit, then it has a much higher chance. I haven't heard the number, but it's more like uh, 10 to 20% may fail in that first five mm -hmm. years as opposed it's just the flip side of uh, where 80%, 75, 80% fail right. of, of the normal uh, business that starts in the U.S. as a capitalistic model of just trying to sort of how you increase your rate of return mm -hmm. as opposed to how do you increase the benefits for your workers and for your customers. So learning it and working together has a much better chance of success uh, in, in a worker co-op. I'm very excited about it. Um, I just see it as a um, just a great way to address this issue, and the women are excited about it. Um, they have one of the women already have more orders than she can handle by herself uh, in terms of people ordering wedding cakes and things of this sort. And so this, this works for her. She said, "Yeah, I, I need you know someone to start baking right away." You know, so she's really excited about it. Um, so, um, like I said, in, you don't have this kind of thing in the black community that often. I, I don't know of one worker-owned uh, business in the in this community that, that you know people of color have started. Now, when I was I was connected to uh, new communities, we had a six thousand acre farm, and we were a co-op. Um, you know, and it was pretty much based on a worker-owned. Uh, premises. Um, so I do know, you know, I know how to, I know that that's a, a much better model uh, 
to work with because you grow along with the business. And you've got people who, you know, if it's, it's your own, you have ownership in something, you're going to work hard to make sure it's a success. So um, I'm, I'm grateful for this opportunity to do something that's going to impact, you know, uh, our people in a positive way and hopefully start something that will snowball. Because I've been saying um, for several months now, you know, that black people need to fight this fight on the economic level. We can't, we have been losing, you know, just trying to deal with it politically. Uh, you know, we, we must keep the political pressure there, but we have to fight on a an economic uh, level in order to really uh, have some successes. Because that's the only thing that people uh, really recognize is your ability to to have some economic clout. And, um, you know, if you're, if you're saying, I don't, you know, I, I'm not standing in line waiting for you to hand me something. Um, I'm standing in line to be a producer, to, to produce something, you know, that that comes from me. And, and I'm just, you know, I, I just think it's a great way to go. I thank you for even continuing the work that you do because that that's an encouragement for me. You know, this this work, um, well, I'll talk, hopefully I'll have a chance to talk about my goals in life. I, about five years ago, I figured out what I want to do when I grow up, and that's to promote. I'll just go ahead and say it now, promote co-ops, which is, this is about, and National Co-op Bank is, is, is uh, helping to sponsor this. And WOL has been very, very supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, their motto is information is power, and mm-hmm. we're trying to give people the information that they need to, form co-ops because I do believe that is a way that we have to come out. I never believed that they were going to give us 40 acres in the Mewies. And as a young person, when I heard that, I didn't see how anybody rich was going to give away what they, you know, what they had. And they definitely, they try to get more, not give anything away. So, and my, my third one is to help to create some kind of uh, more education, either getting schools like the, Howard University's uh, Tuskegee's doing some of this with you guys, and maybe that, well, I went to Stanford. Stanford, uh, the man that Leland Stanford that started, he was a senator, and he was trying to get worker co-op laws back when he started Stanford. Mm-hmm. Um, so, trying to get somebody, and then I w- I've been talking to Cornelius and um, Zippert down there, and, and the Federation and FCC. Maybe we could start a community college that mm-hmm. just focus on co-ops, the things that we're talking about, how you start them, what they're about, what, why they work, what's the socialization of, mm-hmm. of co-ops, what makes them work so well. And you mentioned that when you own it, you make better decisions and you work harder for it to be successful. And if you learn how to work as a group, you have that peer pressure in a positive way right. of, of doing things. So getting that education. And my fourth one is to give money back to, I, I've got, I started with two groups, uh, co-ops, and that's the Federation of Southern Co-ops because I really like I met Ralph Page and really focused and inspired about what he's doing and now Cornelius and then uh, Dame Pauline Green at the International Cooperative Alliance what they're doing so I wanted to get back to them and I'm looking now at also expanding at the U.S. Federation of Worker Cooperatives mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and you know it, sometimes in giving for those of you out there that looking for something to give some, if you give $10 a month I mean that can help a lot and I didn't know until Cornelius talked to me about how, how this, when it's unstrict, unrestricted funds, because most of their funds comes from the U.S. Uh, Department of Agriculture, and they, mm-hmm. their focus, their 
they, they have they have to be used for certain ways, and most of the time they're not for administration. So any little bit you can give would be great. Now, I wanted to talk to you about the U, uh, U.S. Federation of um, uh, a Worker Cooperatives. Mm-hmm. You can go to their web page is uh, usworker.coop, and you look under resources, and you'll see that, that there are a list of 10 or 12 different places to go get money. Um, National Co-op Bank is also listed. Uh, North County Cooperative Development Fund is a, a place of getting money. That you're going to need startup funding. Uh, well, you don't, you don't have to have startup funding, particularly since you have a commercial kitchen there that you can use. Um, and you also there's already some funding because it's not for free. Okay, <laughs> you know, so we still have to pay the bacon there, and hopefully, you know, we will do some fundraising. And of course, we can always, you know, can use that kind of help because the to me, the quicker we get up and running, the better chance that we have of of uh, spreading the word on on how it's done, and people can see a successful model in this area. And hopefully it'll be something to catch on fire and other people will do. That's the reason for this program. Now, listen, we've got to take our final break, and we only have 15 more minutes. And I want to talk to you about the Cooperative Development Foundation. They have some monies also and some technical school. Both U.S. Federation can give you technical advice and the Cooperative Development Foundation. Um, but we have to take our final break, and we'll be right back. Uh, please don't touch that dial. Okay, we're back with our final segment with Irma Wilburn from Albany, Georgia, um, one of the poorest counties in the U.S. Um, We're talking about the bright spot in this county because their their problem is they don't have jobs, they don't have a way of making money, um, and so they're looking at what Irma's looking at is forming co-ops which uh, co-ops are formed to solve community problems. That's the main reasons for forming them, for starting them. And um, Chuck Snyder, who's the president of National Cooperative Bank, Irma said that co-ops are nothing but people helping people. That's that's all it is. That's And that seems to be b- very spiritual and biblical based. I am my brother's keeper and uh, love thy neighbor. So it's just people helping people, and this is the 10, 10 women are looking from four different counties of coming together and forming a worker co-op. Now, the Cooperative Development Foundation, um, they're getting ready to have uh, an event, uh, uh, a walk on the mall, and they're raising monies. But they have a, they have a mutual service fund, um, and that, that fund helps agribusiness, it helps seniors in rural areas, um, and uh, I think your you might be able to get a grant from there. But they also have some some uh, re- revolving loan funds, so that's another place. And you can get them get them at cdf.coop. And that's for a Cooperative Development Foundation, and that's what they're in the business for. And you can also again go to U.S. Federation of Worker Cooperatives to look for funding and for technical support. 
Now, you guys have technical support there with the Federation of Southern Co-ops. And so we have the, the Southwest Georgia. That's project. what I was trying to get to. Okay. Uh, yeah, that um, that's who I'm working with directly. Um, the rural um, leadership uh, co-op is really I'm I'm under their uh, auspices as well. <laughs> RDLN. Um, this this group has been helping women. You know, with things like co-op, and that's the first place I saw a workshop on uh, worker co-ops was with uh, RDL and Rural Development Leadership um, Network, and Starry Kruger, one of the people that worked very closely with that group, Shirley Sherrod. Uh, so they've been in the area of of trying to get people to form co-ops. Matter of fact, uh, they have a sewing co-op. Um, that is um, under Southwest Georgia Project, uh, Southern Journey. And so, it, you know, it's, it's, it's not where it's going to be, but that, you know, that co-op is there. Uh, and that's a model that we can have to get some help from, too. So we do have, you know, but the, the things that the people that you listed, the funding sources, that's definitely something we will be, uh, that will be helpful for us. Well, you, there are two main things that you need in order to be successful is knowledge mm-hmm. and money. Uh, you also, you've already mentioned that you have the will to do it, and that's what the ownership helps to do. Um, but real quickly, I want to go over these seven principles because you talked about them. The first one is volunteer and open membership. Mm-hmm. And that one I liked. Uh, that's one of the first ones because it doesn't make any difference what color you are, race, it doesn't make any difference what gender, it doesn't make any difference whether you're rich or poor, you can be a member. It's open membership. Uh, the second which you member is democratic member control. That's normally one member, one vote. Um, and so it doesn't make any difference how much money you have. And in the, in, in the normal uh, capitalistic model, the more stock you have, the more money you have, then the more power you have. Right. Yeah. Member economic participation, I like this one a lot. You normally put something in to be a member. Mm-hmm. And if there's surplus or profits, the the group will decide how to allocate that money. Do right. they give some back to the members or do they keep it for growth in the business? Uh, or what do they do with that? Or do they spend some of that money to help out the community? Uh, maybe starting other co-ops or so forth. So uh, uh, the fourth one, autonomy and independence. This one says that this is the control part. They have to own it and control it. Um, the fifth one is education, training, and information. And this was the first principle that caught my eye about co-ops is that, and this is I've seen everyday people, not with a lot of education, sometimes the high school, they'll get in and learn how to make really informed decisions so that when they vote, it's vote with knowledge um, because they get educated in their training. And the other thing I've noticed, uh, Irma, is when I've gone to co-op meetings just like the one uh, – mid last month in the federation people give information away they 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 like to share it they want to see people to grow and they don't hold it and say oh i got this knowledge and i can be better than you and this competition isn't there from what i've seen uh and then there's cooperation among cooperatives it's a sixth principle and that's trying to get the housing co-ops to work with the credit unions and Mm -hmm. the food co-ops to work with the farmer co-ops and 
and and so that we can all build up this community. And that's the seventh uh, principle is concern for community. And that's right, written into the DNA of a co-op, uh, as Dane Pauline Green says it. It's, it's, it's trying to make sure that our community um, the environment, when we leave it, like you're talking about the children, get them back on the land. When we leave the land, it's good land um, that we're leaving the next generations. Right. Okay, those are the seven principles. Uh, you're working with VISTA. You're working mm-hmm. with the Southern Georgia Project. Southwest Georgia Project. Southwest Georgia Project. And, and rural development. Rural development. <laughs> you are yes, a farmer's, yes. you're a farmer's wife. Yes. <laughs> and you're well, starting. I'm under, I'm under the auspices of, uh, you know, all of these groups. I, you know, I, I pretty much, you know, we're all doing similar work. Mm-hmm. And, and like I said, rural development leadership sort of, they have the position, the VISTA position, which they loan to the um, Southwest Georgia Project, you know. And I was already connected to the Southwest Georgia Project. I've been with this organization probably since 1974. <laughs> yeah, and it was started in 1961. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And uh, you're also starting a bakery co-op. Right. Now, that one is the one that I got excited about. One is I like to eat. Uh, yes. and, okay. <laughs> and particularly good pastries. Yes. Uh, but my grandmother taught me how to make them uh, mm-hmm. at a very early age and to sort of work with people, women and or men, but women to 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 sort of take the skill set, the baking skill set, and provide a product right. at to to the community at a price that would cause them to be able to increase their wealth, their their uh, financial wealth. And, and the, also, Vernon, because of the farming aspect, a lot of our farmers don't have markets for their produce. And so in order to make them sustainable, they've got to have a place uh, to sell their produce. And we hope to be one of their customers because we'll be making zucchini bread. We'll be making uh, carrot cakes. We'll be making... A lot of the products uh, will, will contain ingredients that the farmers grow. And so this is, you know, this is how we attack it from the anti-hunger uh, thing, that we're actually helping to support our local farmers. Uh, and then we're creating a, a, a resourceful business that's going to, to make our, our community stronger and more sustainable as well. Well, you also told me that you take they'll take the... Um I don't know, wheat or the grain, and they'll mill it, and they'll use that flour in the bread. We already have uh, people nearby, uh, local farmers that's growing wheat, and they have their own meal, and we're hoping to establish that relationship with them where we can buy uh, our, our flour and stuff directly from them. So that's, that's, that will help that farming operation as well. It seems like a win, 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 yeah. win, win. Now you create you create wealth, and so that you can you can create your own businesses. And this bakery is one, and you can look for other ones, whether it's um, garage um, fixing cars, or you could um, probably even start getting a dealership to work at a worker cooperative where you sell cars. But all kinds of what do people need there, and how do you create these businesses and get people in the community to come together and form those businesses so they create their own jobs not looking right. for somebody else to come in and create their job. That's why I like co-ops, right. because it is up to us. We have to, as black Americans, and you have 68% of your population back, we have to find ways that we can incre- increase 
increase our own wealth. Exactly. Yeah, I got moved by that. Okay. My friend says only we can save ourselves. I mean, that's a wake-up call that we all need to have. Um, We all need to believe that we can pool our resources and be a better people. Uh, And I I just believe that that it's there. Now, you can look at Albany. You come into Albany, and and, and that light, the picture that I painted, Mm -hmm. uh, you won't just see it on the surface because – you know, you come in, people that even poor people Friendly. maybe no, but they're also living in nice. Some of them are living in very nice houses, okay. but they're graphic houses. You know, you don't have like you come into a city like Baltimore and places like that. You're not going to have the burned out storefronts and stuff. You're not going to have the the, the Baltimore won't that says blight. Baltimore won't like you talking about them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I know okay. how you know inner cities, large cities like that. You know, Detroit, I just kind of meant all of the empty buildings, uh, you know. Yeah, Detroit's the worst right now. That kind of economic. Uh, L- let me get this in because we only have one minute. Cooperative values are based on the values of self-help, mm-hmm. self-responsibility, democracy, equality, equity, and solidarity. Mm-hmm. And that's why the, the, everything you just talked about is in the values. And in the tradition of the founders, cooperative members believe in the ethical values of honesty, openness, social responsibility, and caring for one another. Ubuntu. The last comment, because we got to sign off. Okay. Well, I want to thank well, you. What yeah. do you say? Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm you know, grateful for an opportunity to talk about uh, this new project and what we're doing to, to help ourselves. All right, dear. Thank you so very much, and we'll see everybody else next Thursday. I'm looking to get some zucchini bread and carrot cake. <laughs> All, right. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye now. W-O-L.